Have you ever experienced addition by subtraction? Have you ever experienced addition by subtraction? That is, have you ever experienced a loss in your life that ended up being a net gain? We spend so much of our life trying to prevent losses, don't we? We spend so much of our life trying to prevent the loss of a relationship, trying to prevent the loss of a job, trying to prevent the loss of a house, trying to prevent the loss of a dream, the loss of an ambition. But what many of you have experienced is that there can come a time in which you have fought and fought and fought to prevent a loss and the loss comes anyway, the relationship dissolves anyway, the friendship dissolves anyway, the position or job dissolves anyway. And what you realize on the backside of that loss that it really was no loss at all. That in fact, what you had been fighting so hard to keep had actually been draining you of your life, had been draining you of your joy, had been draining you of the zeal that you used to have. And so now to have experienced that loss, painful as it was, dreaded as it was, now you realize that in fact, your life has greater joy. It has greater calm. It has greater peace. And so you look back and you almost feel silly. I fought so long and here I am. Here I am. My life has experienced addition by subtraction. I think a big reason that we fight so hard to keep those things is that we are trained from a very young age to always seek to add more, aren't we? We're always seeking to add more, to add more income, to add more savings, to add add more lines on our resume, to add more things that we can list on the scholarship application, to to add more things that we can parade around the neighborhood to show that in fact we have achieved, that we have lived an effective life, that we have been successful. And so the thought of a loss, the thought of a loss in a life in which we are trying to gain and living to gain is almost unbearable. And I think for very many of us, this is how we've come to think of Christ. We've come to think of Christ as an addition, as an add-on to the Christian life, as a luxury option that perhaps we can add as we begin to add all of these things to our resumes and add all of these things to our net worth, that Jesus is the spiritual component, that Jesus is the the category that's supposed to ground everything. And so he's a a luxury add-on to an already prosperous life. So for, it's a very strange experience when we begin to pursue Christ and we begin to lose things that we had been counting on. We begin to lose things that we'd been longing for, lose things that we had long wanted. But what I think we will see in Paul this morning is that as, as we begin to follow Christ, as we are found in Christ, the losses that we experience are not losses at all. In fact, if we have gained Christ, whatever loss we, can experience, we may experience is in fact addition by subtraction, that it will ultimately be found in our lives as a net gain. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me now to Philippians chapter three. Philippians chapter three. We're going to look at the first 11 verses, but we're going to focus on verses seven through 11. Philippians chapter three. When you get there, would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Philippians 
Philippians chapter three, beginning in verse one says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, of the, uh, a, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. Our lives are a collection of our experiences. Many of those experiences are wonderful. You have the day that you get your driver's license, right? You've been waiting and waiting and waiting and all of a sudden the state of Alabama hands you a little piece of paper that is essentially a ticket to freedom. It's a good day. You have the day that you, are, you, you propose or you are proposed to and you become engaged and you look on the future with such optimism and hope and excitement. You have your wedding day. You have the day that you bring home perhaps your first child from the hospital. You have the day in which you finally get that job or that degree that you've been working toward and aiming at and, and you finally get it and it feels so good and it's so exciting. But we all know that life is not just the sum of our good experiences, but the sum of mountaintops and valleys, of positives and of negatives. That You have days in which your spouse betrays you. Or you have the day in which you get the diagnosis that you didn't expect or the car accident that you didn't see coming. The dream job that you long for plays out. Your resume all, all, all of a sudden has a gap that you didn't anticipate. And in the midst of these experiences, in the midst of these experiences, both positive and negative, for those who are in Christ, for those who are, are truly anchored down in the gospel, there is a wonderful promise, a precious life-giving promise. The last thing that Jesus says to his disciples in Matthew 28, before he ascends to the right hand of his father is, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. That through all of those experiences, whether good or bad, the day that you are married or the day that your marriage falls apart, the day that you get your dream job or the day that your job plays out, all of those experiences are characterized by the presence of Christ, that Christ is there, that Christ has promised his presence, that Christ has guaranteed his presence, that you face none of these ups, none of your persecution, none of your suffering, none of your celebration alone. 
But if you're like me, if you're like me, when you sit in there in the doctor's office and he tells you the last thing on earth you expected him to say, sometimes it doesn't feel like Jesus is very close. Sometimes it doesn't feel like Jesus is very close. In fact, sometimes whether it's good or bad, it feels like you're just plodding through life and you end up at a place and, and you think, well, this isn't bad, this isn't good, but where's God? Where's God? I thought Jesus said he would be here. I don't, I don't get the sense that Jesus is here. You see, the gospel seems to promise to us a moment by moment relationship with Christ, a moment by moment dependence, a moment by moment awareness of the nearness of Christ. But for us, for us, it seems as though that is an extraordinary experience in the Christian life and not a normative one. But I think, I think what we read is that it is intended to be a normative experience that it is intended to be the typical experience of the Christian life to feel as though, to have the experience that you are living in a moment by moment dependence, a moment by moment awareness of the presence of Christ. And I think very much, very much, this is what Paul is getting at in Philippians chapter three. I think what he is trying to call the Philippian church to is this type of experience as a church body, this type of experience in individual Christians the type of experience that he feels as though he has. And so that's what I, I want us to see this morning. The first thing that I want us to see is that if we are to experience Christ in all of life, we must treasure Jesus above all gains. Treasure Jesus above all gains. He says in verse seven, but whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, when you think about what Paul has just said, there's, there's a reason I read all 11 verses to cover these four, right? Think, think about all that Paul has just said. Paul has just listed off his credentials, right? He's just listed off his achievements, some by birth, some by his own doing, but he has listed off all of the reasons that he should be considered a favored child of God. One of the members of Israel, a Benjamite, born, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, as to zeal a Pharisee, right? A persecutor of the church. One of those who says, God, I take your word so seriously. I take your promises so seriously that I with, with violence, if necessary, come against those who oppose you. He says, if you were to take the law and you were to compare it to my life, what you would say about my life is that my life is blameless. I have lived so that I have achieved. My credentials are second to none. That Paul Paul has done everything in his life to climb the ladder to God, right? I think for most of us have had the experience of Paul in which we are trying to make something of ourselves. We're trying to be able to get to a place in our life where like Paul, we can run through the elevator speech of our life and it impress the people that we meet. That we can meet somebody on the golf course, they can ask us what we do and we can immediately respond with an answer that's going to make us appear as though we are successful. That we are trying to climb the ladder through life, climb the ladder to God ultimately. But what Paul came to recognize was that life is not a ladder that you climb. That for Paul, rather than life being a ladder to climb or an obstacle course to conquer and to achieve, instead, life is an altar. Life is an altar. And on that altar, you are to lay down your life, 
you are to lay down yourself so that your life may become a pleasing aroma to God so that God may be satisfied in you and you may show that your ultimate and total satisfaction is found in him. That joy and delight in this life is not to be found by climbing a ladder and adding to your resume and getting all the right scholarships and having athletic success and having career success and having an enjoyable retirement. Instead, instead a satisfying life is found by offering over your life. So that you can say with Paul, "Whatever whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, whatever credentials I had, whatever rank I had, whatever affluence I had, whatever admiration I had, whatever achievement I had, whatever future I had, I counted all as loss for the sake of Christ. See, Paul lost every single thing that he treasured. Think about that. Everything that he aimed at as a boy, he got and then lost it. Think about it. His whole future. Paul had a future that most likely included a position on the Sanhedrin. He would have been one of the handful of most powerful men in all of Israel. He would have achieved a status that would have set his family apart forever. He had a a pathway to affluence. He had a pathway to prestige. He likely, being the scholar that he was, could have went down in the history of Israel as being one of the great minds of the Hebrews. And instead he forfeited it to rot in a Roman jail, to live homeless and hungry, to experience lashes, to ultimately have his head cut off his shoulders. He traded futures. He traded futures. And in our world in which we do everything to set up our children for the future, in our world in which we we will cut, scratch, claw, and fight to help us get one more scholarship or one more application to the right college, what in the world would make a man so fortunate forfeit a future so profitable? What in the world? Why in the world would any man give up on a future that is as bright as this one? See, the answer, the answer. He's given you the secret to his life. The answer, he found a greater treasure. He found a greater treasure. He found something that was greater than affluence. He found something that was greater than the Sanhedrin. He found something that was greater than the biggest house or the highest, uh, the highest respect and admiration of his peers. He found something far greater that when he took all of those things and he, com- and he added them together, the sum total of every dream in his life, every treasure in his life, every achievement in his life, the sum total of those things were as though they were worthless in comparison to the treasure that he had ultimately found. So that he's able to say, because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus, my Lord. You know how personal it is. The only time in all of Paul's writings that he refers to Jesus as my Lord, my treasure, my gain, my redeemer, my savior, my hope. My Lord, I have found my Lord. I have found Christ to death with everything else that I've ever wanted, to death with everything else I've ever fought for, to death with everything else that I've ever lived for. I have found my Lord. 
You see, Paul was able to stop chasing the pennies of this world because he found the mint. He found the mint. So every loss that we might perceive in his life was no loss at all. In fact, he calls it gain. It was addition by subtraction. See, Jesus changes your values. And Jesus changes your values by changing your vantage point. Jesus changes your values by changing your, value, your, your vantage point. That's the only way that gains can become losses. That's the only way that losses can become gains. That's the only way that a person can, for their whole life, live as though money was the source of their happiness, was the security of their joy, and then on a dime turn and say, no, my happiness is found solely in, solely in Christ. It is the only way that a person can seek their value in the opinion of others in a romantic relationship and then on a dime turn and say, no, I don't need him, I don't need her, I don't need romance, I need Christ. I need Christ. It's the only way that a person can say that they once treasured sex and career advancement and athletic success, but today say that they only treasure Christ. It is a shift in your values, a shift in your perspective, a shift in your vantage point. It is to look through everything now through the lens of a greater treasure, to see everything now, not as you once did, looking up as though everything were impossible to make out, but instead looking, looking from the perspective that you have found a treasure that is greater than all other treasures. And so now, now having such wealth, having such security, having this newfound perspective, now, now how will you see the rest of it? See, this is every gospel story that's ever been told. Do you realize that? This is every gospel story that's ever been told. This is my story. If you are in Christ, if you've repented of your sin and placed your hope in Jesus, this is your story. This is the same story that uh, Jesus tells us in the parable of the hidden treasure in Matthew chapter 13, right? Do you remember the story? It's, it's like one verse. It, says, it describes a man and he's walking through a field one day. And all of a sudden he stumbles up on this treasure. And he can't believe what he's found. He can't believe what he's seen. He's, he's overwhelmed. And in an instant, he realizes that this treasure that he's found in the middle of a field is worth such immense wealth that if he took every single thing in his life, every single thing that he's lived for up until this point, and he added all of it together, it would not even scratch the surface of the wealth of this treasure that he has found in the middle of this field. So Jesus says that in his joy, not begrudgingly, not out of compulsion, not against his will, not, not because he's miserable, not as some great sacrifice. No, in his joy, he goes and he sells every single thing that he owns. He, he eliminates every other competing treasure in his life. He sells it and he goes and he buys that one field, that one field that has a treasure of, of such immeasurable worth that he cannot even begin to see. This is the experience of every person that comes to the gospel and finds Christ. You've been chasing after so many pennies in your life. 
You've been chasing after so many add-ons in your life. You've been chasing after the right recognition by your peers and colleagues. You've been chasing after being acknowledged as, as being the top athlete in school. You've been chasing after what it would be like if everybody just thought that you had it together or you were the ideal mother or you were the ideal wife. You've been chasing after having the perfect social media presence so that you, everybody sees in you exactly what you think they're looking for, only to come to Christ, to come to Christ and say, everything else that I have added together, my finest jewelry, my nicest home, my greatest colleague, my, my strongest ally, if I were to take all of these things together and add them together, the sum total could not even compare. I am willing to sell it all. I am willing to lay it all down that I might gain Christ. I am willing to lay them down in my joy, that my joy in Christ may be full, that my joy in Christ may be secure. You see, our lives are ultimately the accumulation of our values. Our lives are ultimately the accumulation of our values. And Paul sees them in two different lights. He says, before Christ, before Christ, he had everything that everyone else wanted. He had everything that a person could pursue. He had everything that a person could hope for. He had all of the things that you start adding up. If you go and you go to, uh, to White Plains High School tomorrow, and you ask everybody what job they want to have when they grow up. You know what jobs you're going to hear? And, and really, like, the younger you go, the more you hear this, because, like, there's this dose of reality that comes ever so slowly over a period of time. But you go and you ask them, do you know what jobs are going to come up? I'm going to be a lawyer. I'm going to be a doctor. I'm, I'm, going, to be, I'm going to be an engineer. You'll have dozens and dozens of these types of careers. And why? All of us begin by choosing the thing that we believe, that we believe will increase our income to the highest level, right? We, we, we try to choose careers based on the level of, of affluence that they can bring into our lives or the level of prestige they could add to our lives and the level of, uh, the level of material things that they can secure for us. Why is that? These are the things that we chase. These are the things that we chase. And Paul is saying, I had them all, except now, now when I reconcile it, now when I add all my accounts together and I see that I had them all and lost them all, I reconcile it as a, I reconcile all of those things as a loss. Everything that I once thought was a gain, everything that I once thought was a treasure, now I see as a loss. In other words, you know what he says? I wasted my life. I wasted my life. I lived my life for the wrong aims and the wrong things, believing that they mattered. And now, now reconciling it all in Christ, I realize that the first part of my life apart from Christ is wasted. It's wasted, it's worthless. But since Christ, since Christ, since Christ, I have lost everything that is supposed to matter. I have lost everything that everyone else is pursuing. I have lost everything else that everybody else says matters. And I look at all of those losses and I add them up and I say, but I have Christ, prophet, prophet. I have Jesus, but no home, prophet. I have Jesus, but few friends, prophet. I have Jesus and have lost family members, prophet. I have Jesus and I've never married, prophet, prophet prophet in light of every loss when I put them beside the glory that I have attained in Christ the treasure that I have secured in him I reconcile all of it 
as gain. You see, so long as you have Christ, so long as you have Christ, everything else is an acceptable loss. So long as you have Christ, everything else is an acceptable loss. Doesn't mean it's an enjoyable loss, but an acceptable loss. Because with Christ, your joy is not contingent upon any other factor. With Christ, never marrying is an acceptable loss because marriage doesn't determine your value. In Christ, never having children is an acceptable loss because children aren't your source of joy. In Christ, not getting to travel and not having physical health and not attaining a certain income level, all of those are acceptable losses because your life is secure. Your treasure is secure. Brothers and sisters, if you will live as though Christ is gain and all else is lost, you will be set free then to really live. Treasure Christ. Treasure Christ above all gains. Secondly, we see this, begin to see this progression in the thought line of Paul, right? We see, we see this progression. That, that really, he starts off with a values statement, doesn't he? I counted it all as loss. I counted it all as loss compared to the surpassing worth of having Christ. I, can, I reconcile everything. So it's a values statement. But as is true, Paul recognizes that values are worthless unless they change your life. Values are worthless unless they actually become priorities for you, that they don't mean much. And so what he, what he begins to, to go on to say is, look, this is not just what I think. This is not just what I teach. This is how I live. This has been my experience in this moment by moment experience with Christ. And so he says that if we want to experience Christ in all of life, must live for Jesus at all costs. Must live for Jesus at all costs. And he understands fully the gravity and the sobriety of what he is saying. What will you believe? What will you say you believe? Will what you say you believe actually affect what you do? That's what he's saying. Listen to how he says this. He says, for his sake, I have suffered. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things. Paul had lost his birthright. Paul had lost his reputation. Paul had lost his affluence. Paul had lost his family. Paul had lost all of these things. It was not a theory. It was not a thought. It was an experience. This was the application in his life. Do you want to know what you treasure above all things? Do you want to know what the chief treasure in your life is? What are you willing to ruin your reputation over? What are you willing to ruin your reputation over? Paul had lost his very name, his very name for following after Christ. There's a reason why in Romans 1.16, he says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of salvation for all who believe. Why? It would have been easy for Paul to have been ashamed, to be embarrassed of Jesus, to pull back from Jesus, to try to save some scratch of his reputation, to save some sliver of his good name. But he says, no, no, I will live proud of Jesus. I will live proud of Christ because his power of salvation has impacted me personally. It has transformed my life. I, will, I am willing to ruin my reputation that the reputation of Christ may be enhanced. What are you willing to ruin your reputation over? Are you willing to cut corners? Everybody else knows you're cutting so that you can get ahead. 
Are you willing to ruin your reputation for financial gain? Are, are you willing to cheat on tests at school so, so that you, would, you can have the right grade number to put on the right scholarship applications and the right, and the right college applications? Are you willing, in other words, are you willing to, to ruin your reputation, to compromise your integrity so that you can advance your own ambition? Or, or are you willing to ruin your reputation as being smart enough, as being good enough, as being in control enough, as, as being thoughtful enough, as being agreeable enough to compromise your stand for Christ, to compromise your boldness for Christ, to compromise your conviction in Christ and to back away from Jesus. You wanna know what your treasure is? You wanna know what you place above all things? What is it in your life that you're willing to ruin your reputation for? Paul, for Paul, it was Christ. For Paul, it was Christ. Slay, slay me, take away my good name, take away my achievement, take away my credentials, take away everything that I've ever rehearsed to be able to say to you about myself. But so long as I have Christ, so long as I have Christ, I will count all of that stuff as rubbish. I will count it as though it is garbage. Notice the verb tense of what Paul uses here. It, 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 it's, it's subtle. It's subtle, but it's, it's so powerful. He says, he starts off by, by saying, I, I have suffered, right? I have suffered. So, so these are, are past losses, right? Th th these are losses that Paul has accrued over his pursuit of Christ, has accrued over his experience of living out the gospel. And then he says, then he says, and I count it all as rubbish. That's present tense, isn't it? I count it all right now. All these losses that I have experienced, all the losses that I realize I'm likely to experience today and tomorrow, I count them today. I count them right now. I reconcile them in the bank account of my mind as losses. I count them as garbage. I count them, actually, more literally, it means dung. Like, I, I, I count them as dog poop. That's what he's saying. Like that's, I, I just love how straightforward he is, right? But then he says something future tense, doesn't he? He says something future tense. That I may gain Christ. That I may be found in him. I have experienced great loss. I count it all as rubbish today because, because I am not concerned about yesterday and I am not worried about today. No, what I am living for is a future hope that I may be found in Christ, in Christ. You see, our present loss in light of a future gain, that's the perspective. That's the vantage point. That's the vantage point. Our present loss in light of a future gain. Right now, there is pain. Right now, there's loss in spades. Right now, it feels like sacrifice. But the confidence is, is in what is to come. The confidence is in Christ who is raised, in Christ who is, who is reigning, in Christ who is working all things together. Do you know what saving faith looks like? You know what saving faith looks like? Saving faith looks like living right now as though the kingdom has already fully come. It hasn't yet come, has it? In fact, we look around and we see great loss. We look around and we see great tragedy. We look around and we see great evil. We see sin. 
We see all kinds of injustice, all kinds of hatefulness, all kinds of hopelessness. And we are certain, we are certain. We experience these things in our own bodies. And we are certain the kingdom has not yet fully come. Christ has not yet brought everything into submission to his final reign. But saving faith, saving faith, justifying faith is to live right now as though the kingdom has already come because you are that certain of the hope that is to come. It is to live today as though the kingdom has come because you are that certain that the kingdom is in fact coming. It is to live for a God that nobody else can see, that you can hardly describe because you are that certain that you are going to be with him forever. So it's to have a a hope that is anchored. That's why Paul ties his justification to it. Isn't that strange? That I may gain Christ, that I may be found in Christ. Those are words of salvation. And we all know that the moment that he repented of his sins, the moment that he placed his faith in Christ, he was justified. He was declared righteous in the court law, the courtroom of God. He was already credited with the righteousness of Jesus. And yet he still looks to the future. Why? Why? Because it is a righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith. And a righteousness that comes from God that depends on faith is worked out in a life that is totally built and dependent upon God himself. You can't have a a faith-dependent righteousness apart from a life of faith. Apart from a life of faith. This is the game changer. This is the game changer, changer for how many of us grew up relating to Jesus. Many of us grew up relating to Jesus with the understanding that if I just mentally, if I just mentally believe that Jesus is the Son of God, if, if I just mentally assent to the, to the thought that, that Jesus was raised from the dead, if I, if, I just, if I just think that he died for the sins of the world, if that's just what I think, then so long as that's what I think, then I will be saved. I will be justified. But y'all, that's not faith. That's not faith. That won't save you. It's that kind of thinking that can say, Jesus, I just need you as an add-on in my life. I just need you as the spiritual compartment of an overall satisfying life. Jesus, I just need you to make sure that I'm holistically fulfilled. No, 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 that is not saving faith. That is an incomplete view of what it means to know the gospel, to trust the gospel and to live out the gospel. Instead, instead, saving faith means banking your own welfare, banking your own well-being, living moment by moment, dependent on the goodness of Christ, dependent on the provision of Christ, dependent upon the power of Christ. It is to say, Jesus, if you don't come through in my life, my life will not make sense. Jesus, if you are not real, I'm going to live in such a way with such confidence in you, with such faith in you, that I'm going to live that no one will be able to reconcile my life until until the day of judgment when they see you divide the sheep from the goats. It is to live now, to live now as though Christ is gain. To, to those who gain Christ will live like Christ is their only gain. You realize that? Th- those who gain Christ will live like Christ is their only gain. They will apply these things to their lives. They will apply these values to their life and their justifying, saving faith will play out in their life by the way that they bank everything, depend everything on him. Jesus is not an addition to your life. Jesus is the whole equation. He's not an add-on. He's everything. 
in totality. This morning, are you living like Christ is your gain? Are you living like Christ is your only gain? Because if you live for Jesus at the cost of friendship, at the cost of romance, at the cost of affluence, at the cost of comfort, you will not be proven a fool. You will not be proven a fool. In fact, in fact, you will be living for a future gain. You will be living for a future, future glory. You will be living for a future reward. And one day, one day, when you stand there beholding the presence of the risen and reigning Christ, you will be able to say, everything that I lost, every price that I paid, every friendship that I, it cost me, now I say with a crown of unfading glory that it was addition by subtraction. I count all of those things as loss, as garbage, as dog poop. And that brings us to the cumulative thought that's in Paul's mind here. What he's been working toward the whole time. He says that we are to, to value Christ, treasure Christ above all gains and live for Jesus at all costs. That, that, that we might know Jesus through all experiences that we might know Jesus through all experiences. This is the aim, right? This is why he, in verse 10, the way he starts, that I may know him. This is what he's aiming at. This is, this is the goal, the ambition of Paul's life, that he might know Christ. And it is not to know Christ the way that I know Tuatunga Valoa, right? Like I'm embarrassed to tell you how much I know about Tuatunga Valoa. Like I know that he's 6'1", I know that he's a junior, I, I know he's from Hawaii. I even know that he's Pentecostal. You know? But the truth is, I don't know him. I don't know him. I, I don't really know the makeup of his character. I've never experienced whether or not he's a man of integrity or not. I don't know if he's a loyal friend or a traitor. I, I don't know if, if he's the kind of man that you can bank on or not. I, I don't know if he's humble or if he's arrogant. I don't know these things. I don't know him. The kind of knowledge that Paul is aiming at is knowledge that comes through experience. Knowledge that comes through experience. He's saying, he, he said, I don't just want to know that Christ is forgiving. I want to have experienced his forgiveness. I don't just want to know that Christ is kind. I want to live in the experience of his kindness. I don't just want to know that Christ is faithful. I want to experience the day in, day out faithfulness of Christ in my own life that I may know him. I will count it all lost. I will lay down every relationship, every friendship, every dollar, my house, my livelihood. I will lay it all down just that I may know him, that I may know the patience of Christ, that I may know the kindness of Christ, that I may know the mercy of Christ. I will lay it all down that I may know him. And so he says there's, there's two different ways. There's two different ways that I'm aiming to know Christ. One now, one later. One now, one later. In fact, verses nine through 11, we really, if you, for those of you that, that are sharp theologians, like you really get this beautiful, powerful synopsis of the gospel, verses nine, 10, and 11, right? Verse nine, he talks about his justification. Verse 10, he talks about his sanctification. Verse 11, he talks about his glorification. So you have this elevator pitch in Paul's own mind now. That's the inverse of what he's been saying before, before his justification was found in himself. His hope was found in himself. His, his maturity was found in his own blamelessness. But now, but now, but now it's all found in Christ. And so he says in verse 10, he says in verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. 
that I may know him and the power of his resurrection. That is, that I may live in him now, that I may walk in him now, that I might experience the power of the risen Christ in my life now, that I may walk in resurrection boldness, in resurrection courage, in resurrection faithfulness, that I may live a supernatural world, a supernatural life in the midst of a natural world. Do you know, did you know that you've never taken a step toward Jesus that wasn't a miracle? You've never taken a step toward Jesus that wasn't a miracle. That every step that you take toward Jesus, you take through the power of the resurrection. You take through the power of the resurrection. There is nothing natural about you seeking God. Romans 3 says, nobody seeks after God, but God, he came and he sought after us and he laid down his life and he was raised from the dead that we might be raised from the dead, that we might have the Holy Spirit to convict us of our sins, to draw us to himself, to place and dwell within us so that we might pursue Christ in all of life. See, here's what he teaches us. The resurrection is proof. The resurrection is proof that the experiences in your life, that God is not working in spite of those things. The hardships in your life, God is not working in spite of those things. The losses in your life, he is not working in spite of those losses. He is not working in spite of your failing health. He's not working in spite of your failing marriage. He's not working in spite of your despair, in spite of your depression. No, no. What the resurrection proves is that Christ is working through them, through them. The, the, the death on the cross, it seemed, it seemed as though God's hope had died. It seemed as though God's plan had ended. And there is a dead Messiah, a dead Savior. What hope do we have? Oh, 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 but God did not work in spite of his death. God did not work in spite of his cross. God did not work in spite of him laying down his life. He worked through it. He worked through it. He put him to death on the cross that three days later he might raise him to new life, to reign over all of us, that we might be justified, that we might now walk in Christ and know Christ. He is working through the cross in your life, that you might live a cruciform life and ultimately experience a resurrected one. And this morning, I don't know what you're battling, I don't know what you're afraid of. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you're, what, you're, what you're battling with. But what I know, what I am certain of is that in light of the cross, with the power of the resurrection and the promise of the resurrection, resurrection Christ is working through it. Christ is working through it. And what that means is that if you live a life of faith, moment by moment faith, staked on Christ, banked on Jesus, you will experience moment by moment faithfulness in your life. Moment by moment faithfulness from Christ to you. So much so that you can look to the glorification that is to come, the resurrection that is to come and say today, today I wake, his mercies are new. Today I wake, his grace is afresh. Today I awake, I didn't know how I would get up, but I'm getting up anyway because, because I walk with resurrection power and I am pressing on to a resurrection promise that one day, one day I might attain the resurrection from the dead that my body will no longer hurt. My face will no longer know tears. My life will no longer no hardship, only, only, only joy. This morning, this morning, 
Are you living by moment by moment faith? Are you living out moment by moment dependence upon Christ? Because if you are living in moment by moment faith, you will experience moment by moment faithfulness. And one day soon, one day soon, all of this is going to fade away. All of this is going to fade into the background. And on that day, you will begin be able to call every loss again. And it will be addition by subtraction to Christ's glory in you. Let's pray together. Hi, I'm Cody Hill. I'm the lead pastor here at Iron City. Thank you so much for connecting with us online. I hope in the days ahead that we'll have an opportunity to connect with you in person. On our website, ironcity.org, you'll see a number of different opportunities that you have to connect with our church and opportunities that we're seeking to engage our community and minister to our church family. I'd like to especially invite you to come and be a part of one of our connection groups that meet at nine o'clock immediately preceding our Sunday morning worship service. You'll find that we're not a perfect church, but we are a passionate church. We take following Jesus very seriously, but we try not to take ourselves too seriously. So I hope you'll come this Sunday at 1015 and worship with us and let us get to know you a little bit better.